you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and hopefully subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun podcast. Part two of Why Guns. Going to share some points of history mixed in there with letters to my sister. Mrs. M shares Zombie Strike number 105. I got a mature audiences only section and the shoot, don't shoot scenario for you. We're going to talk about the Lautenberg Amendment, domestic violence, and your firearms. Celebrating the 236th anniversary celebration of the birth of the United States Marine Corps. Following that, also, Happy Veterans Day. Celebrating all those who served in our U.S. military. There will be show notes on KenNBlanchard.com. And you can reach me 24 hours a day, seven days a week at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. My toll-free number is 888-675-0202. And you know, there's a bad moon rising. CrossbreedHolsters.com presents the Black Man with a Gun podcast from KenBlanchard.com. This weekly show is diverse, open, and free, involving all members of the gun community. It's not just about guns. It's about the people behind the gun, plus your rights, fun, news, and interviews. Hope you've got your things together. I hope you are quite prepared to die. And now, here's your host, Pastor Ken Blanchard. Hey, welcome back to the Black Man with a Gun podcast. I'm Ken Blanchard, like she said, and uh, I'm glad you decided to listen to me once again. You know, it's really cool when you find somebody who says, hey, man, I dig your show. I appreciate what you say. Because... There's a thousand podcasts out here and I do things a little differently. So if you push through all that and you like me for, for me, 
I'd probably invite you over the house. Can't say that about everybody. But for you, yep. So thanks. And for those, this week I've really been doing my pastoral duties. There's quite a few folks uh, in the military who, both the U.S. and Canada actually, that uh, have reached out and shared some stuff. A lot of folks hurting, a lot of folks going through some things. And you're in my prayers. I've been praying for you and with you, and you know that. So thanks for trusting me. Thanks for allowing me to do what I do. We're going to see your problem through. You're going to make it. And if you're a pro-gun activist, if you're doing something for the cause and things are just not going right for you, it might not be your fault. I'm here to encourage you that times are nuts right now. Folks, you can't get them to do anything. You can pass out free food and they're not coming over. Voter turnout is probably low. The only thing that's really working right now, if you want to start something really cool, start a bar or uh, sell liquor. Then you'll make money. Folks are depressed and sad and you know what I'm saying. So if you're having an event and you're trying to get folks out and nobody's showing up and you're doing everything you can, you can hit the social media, the Twitter and everything and nobody's paying you any attention, it's probably not your fault. Just a sign of the times. It's, it's going to take a while for things to get back right. Just hang in there. Don't burn out and quit. Just pace yourself, that's all. Keep at it, though. Persistence. Consistency. Be relentless. Do the CPR thing, but don't, um, don't burn out. All right? Hey, I attended a funeral last week. I lost a first cousin to colon cancer and still... Number one thing I want to tell you, everybody, is that cancer sucks. But one of the good things about uh, a funeral in the Blanchard family is that it's a family reunion. Because I got folks that only will show up if there's a funeral. And I even got a guy who I think he's a professional funeral goer. He's not even related to us, but he's been at every funeral except for this last one um, that I can remember. And I had to ask my dad. His name is Duke. Dude's about seven foot tall probably about 70-some years old, uh, rides a bicycle around town, comes to everybody's funeral. I mean, he even wears the matching clothes, like if the ushers are wearing all white or all black that day. Somehow Duke knows, man, he'll come dressed like them. Um, he's the first one in there getting the cake and the sweet tea um, after the repast, the, the funeral's over. I mean, he's everywhere, but he's always at the funeral. I don't know whether he knows everybody or not, but uh, Duke wasn't there this time. I had a great time with my family. Uh, we sat around or stood around outside in, in the cold. It wasn't that cold. It got cold after it got dark. And we just like cut up. I mean, just had a ball just reminiscing about stuff and checking out the things. And there was a couple of really nice uh, conversations going on. One was uh, smartphones. Um, there was an amazement to you know how popular they were. And the older members of my family were saying how smartphones were an insult. They wanted a dumb phone. They wanted a phone they could actually just talk on with some numbers on it. They didn't care about Twitter and uh, and Facebook or whatever they call that stuff, they said. And I thought that was interesting. And another cousin, he was telling me about how he had to bust his kids because he went on a business trip. And as soon as he left, they put up on Facebook that there was going to be a big house party. And they invited all these people to his house while he was gone. 
and he saw the invites and the conversations because he followed the whole stream on Facebook. And he got home, and his kids denied it. And he had to go back, grab his cell phone, and show them that he saw all this stuff. And he was just saying, how dumb are these kids? So that was interesting. And uh, had another cousin talking about his Facebook experience. Uh, He's uh, a little bit over 50, and he was watching his nephew post some stuff from his college. And his nephew put up some girl on there. And my cousin went off. He was saying, hey, man, this girl was hot. And he had to, he was clicking all on the girl's site and looking at all the pictures that his nephew had. And, and another uncle, that he that was texting between the two of them. They were like, hey, did you see that what, uh, what Darnell put on the site? And blah, blah, blah. And they were getting their jollies, man, from their nephew, trying to like relive their youth. So that was a whole different application for Facebook I had never heard of before. But uh, good Lord, family, man. And then take out people for lunch. You got any relatives that they're so cheap or they're just so something that when you get to the, the water, they put the water on the table and they ask for lemonade or ask for lemons and they ask for extra lemons and start putting sugar in there and making lemonade like they can't even order regular lemonade and you try to stop them. And they get indignant about it, and they're looking for more lemons and put more sugar in their little drink when you could just easily ask for lemonade. Anybody else got relatives like that? Maybe it's just my family. Well, anyway, let's get on with episode 243, Why Guns, Part 2. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, to all you leathernecks, gyrenes, and marines out there, happy birthday. Celebrating the 236th anniversary celebration of the birth of the United States Marine Corps. Hoorah. Happy Veterans Day. Thank you for your service to our country. Been quite a week. Full moon, asteroid, Veterans Day. Now I want to get serious for a hot second. And uh, for those who are hunting, I want to give a shout out to everybody out in the field who may have already tagged their first buck or got their first uh, turkey this, this season. You know, according to the National Safety Council, hunting is a safe activity with fewer injuries per 100,000 participants than many other sports, which include cycling, bowling, golf, and tennis. However, you must always use good judgment and take responsibility for your actions. Just putting it out there for those who don't know. And my friend D and Julie G have been hunting and both got trophies. Congratulations. If you want to share um, what you took down this season, you can send it to me, and I'll post it up on the uh, new Google Plus page. How about that? Just send it to me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. 
Hey, I want to bring up a really serious subject. I had a buddy who was a law enforcement guy, really good guy, got into trouble with his wife. Him and he and his wife got into a domestic situation where they were arguing and some pushing and shoving occurred and she had to call the police and put a restraining order and do you know that as a gun person that this can forever change your right to carry? Yeah. With my buddy, they went through counseling and things worked out, but he lost his job. Yeah, he, he actually never really hurt her or hit her, but there was some verbal and some abuse there, so there was some issues. There was an amendment, an act uh, called the Lautenberg. I'm not sure you know about it. And opponents point out that this law runs contrary to the right to keep and bear arms. And what it does is, under a federal law governing possession of firearms by police or military while on duty, an officer under a current protection order or even one convicted of murdering a spouse in the past may legally possess a service firearm, but an officer convicted of one of the misdemeanor violations listed in the Lautenberg Amendment is prohibited from possessing any firearm or ammunition at any time under any circumstances. The Lautenberg Amendment bans shipment, transport, ownership, and use of guns or ammunition by individuals convicted of a misdemeanor domestic violence who are under a restraining or protection order for domestic abuse in all of the states. And the act also makes it unlawful to knowingly sell or give a firearm or ammunition to such a person. This is huge, actually. And even dealers have to make sure that they don't give or sell a firearm to somebody who is under this thing. Yeah, I might not be explaining it really well right now, but what I'm saying is, if you hit your wife, then you should go to jail. But I'm saying if you get accused of it, you could lose your right to keep and bear arms. That's what I'm trying to reach. I'm trying to say this law is, is so far-reaching that it can get you. Now, the law has been tested in federal court in the case of United States versus Emerson, and uh, it was challenged constitutionally. But I'm telling you, this thing is scary. And just to be accused of having, you know, this kind of history can damage your freedom. So be careful out there, guys. And while I'm talking about it, last month, October, was actually Domestic Violence Month. And if I could just keep going down this road, let me just clear up some things for you. You know how, you know how people have like misconceptions? Like they say, well, if I get a gun and I, I shoot this joker that robbed my house and I have to drag him back in, you know how that's like totally wrong and how forensics will find out that you basically murdered the dude, he was trying to run away, you're going to jail, you're going under the jail. Well, the same way, the same kind of bad uh, misconceptions are out there about violence and home violence and domestic violence. Domestic violence can be defined as a pattern of behavior in any relationship that is used to gain or maintain power and control over an intimate partner. Abuse can be physical, sexual, emotional, economic, psychological, or any action that threatens or influences somebody else. 
frightening, intimidation, terrorism, manipulation, hurting, humiliation, blame, injuring, or wounding. It can happen to any race, any age, any sexual orientation, any religion, or any gender. It can happen to couples who are married, living together, or people who are dating. Domestic violence affects people of all social, economic backgrounds, and education levels. And I want to give out a phone number for you to pass on to somebody who might have some issues or want to learn something, and that's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's 1-800-799-SAFE. 1-800-799-7233. Now, I know this is some grown-up stuff, so let me just keep on down this path. You know, in some cultures, a crime of passion is excusable. And that's when a defendant's excuse for committing a crime is due to a sudden anger or heartbreak in order to eliminate the element of premeditation. Well, you're going to have to prove that. And it has to be acted immediately upon the rise of passion without the time for contemplation or allowing for a cooling of the blood, which is pretty hard. So not only do you have to govern yourself above every other citizen as a concealed carry person. Not only do you have to make sure you follow all the rules, you have to govern yourself and be more responsible, or you can lose the very rights we fight for. That's the bottom line to what I'm trying to say. We talk about shooting and techniques and guns and, and all the new hot stuff, but I'm trying to get to your head, if I could. Maybe just this one guy, you, you got back from somewhere, you're a little uptight, Things not working out and you want to take it out on somebody. You can lose your freedom in a domestic situation. That's what I'm saying. That's what your brother's trying to tell you. Cool? Cool. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Shoot or don't shoot. You decide. You are a concealed carry permit holder. I never firearm on you when you get home after a long day. You couldn't wait to get home. You open the door, ringing the doorbell first. All right, where is she at? Let me get this key in here. All right, here we go. <sighs> you open the door and see the living room littered with your spouse's clothes, as well as those of another person leading to your bedroom. The door is not locked and you hear the sounds of lovemaking. You continue in. In shock and amazement, you find your spouse in your bed with another. What do you do? Shoot or don't shoot. You decide. All right. Told you it's for the grown people. I'd like to read your responses and let's have some discussion about it at KenNBlanchard.com. Look for episode number 243, and let's get this topic cranking. Let people see what the right thing is, what the wrong thing is, how you're thinking. Share the knowledge. Share how you feel. Here on the Black Man with a Gun podcast, keeping it real. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, 
most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget crossbreedholsters.com. Hoggerwatches.com. In the northwestern city of Maryland, known as Hagerstown, a new watch company begins. The watch is called Hogger. It is designed by a U.S. veteran, a watch aficionado, a patriot that wanted to leave his mark in history, offering a quality watch for the active person that didn't break the bank. Automatic movement, water resistant to three atmospheres. The Commando features a unique fighting knife logo on the back and the Urban Commando look. It's not too big and looks at home both in the office or in the field. HoggerWatches.com. Get yours today. This is Zim. Welcome back to the Black Man with a Gun podcast. Hello, darling. How you doing this week? Oh, darling, you know, I'm pretty good. I uh, listened to the show we did last week. Uh-huh. And it was very good, very good show. And I have a message for today. Okay. Well, you know, darling, last week... You started the series, Why Guns? Yes. And it reminded me of the time, the very first show we do, when I talk about the Thomas Jefferson and why we have the Second Amendment. And I thought maybe I'd tell you i talk about that again. Okay. Well, darling, I have a quote from Thomas Jefferson once more. And, uh, you know, he was a very smart man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love this quote. It to say, the strongest reason for the people to retain the right to keep and bear arms is, at a lesser resort, to protect themselves against tyranny in the government. And you know, darling, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking again, maybe I share one more time what a tyrant is. Okay. You know, darling, a tyrant is someone who say, I'm the boss. Right. And they say, I'm going to be the boss, and I will take care of you. Only what they really say is, I will use you to take care of me. That's what a tyrant does. Yes, darling. But you know, darling, in America, the people is the boss. The people is the boss. And so, darling, you know, in America, our founding fathers knew that we had to protect our freedom from a tyrant, from somebody saying, I'm the boss, and I'm the only boss, because the people is the boss. That's right. So, like I said a long time ago, on our very first show, if someone comes to your door and says, I'm the boss, with the Second Amendment, you can say to them, I don't think so, darling. That's right. Yes, darling. You need that Second Amendment. It's a very important piece of legislation. Yes, darling. Very much so. Well, you know, darling, last week you talked about the, the, the reason for self-defense, which, of course, was very powerful uh, a conversation you shared with everybody. But I want everyone to remember that when we have the right to protect ourselves, not only from the bad guys, the bad guys are not only the criminals, darling. Mm. The bad guys can be people in the power that try to take away the people's power. Yes, that's true. And when you have the Second Amendment, darling, you have a little more, uh, how you say, the field that plays, uh, the playing field that makes a level. That's right, that's right. Yes, darling, yes, darling. So, anyway, darling, that's my message for today. All right, thank you, Miss M. Oh, thank you, darling. Until next week, this is Miss M and Ken. I can't wait. <laughs> bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye now.
You're listening to the Black Man with a Gun podcast with my brother from a different mother, Ken Blanchard. And now, our featured presentation. Why Guns, Part 2. This week, I want to touch on history of gun control and actually talk about some black history as well. You know, people live in the present. They plan for and worry about the future. History, however, is the study of the past. History is important because we are the past. We are the sum of all the events, good, bad, and indifferent, that have happened to us. This sum product guides our actions in the present. The only way you can understand who we are and how we got to that way is to study the past. Similarly, the only way we can understand others is by studying their past. And if you don't understand what made them who they are in terms of how they think and act, you'll make the same mistakes in our interactions with them. William Lund said, We study the past to understand the present, and we understand the present to guide the future. So here, under the washer and the dryer, we're going to talk a little bit about history. It's pretty unknown for a lot of people that gun control in the United States started out people control. The whole thing is race-based. The very first gun laws in the colonies, we're talking 1640, before even the Constitution of the United States, prohibited Negroes, slave and free, from carrying weapons, including clubs. Yeah. And if you keep on going, the law written somewhere like 1619 said that all such free mulattoes, Negroes and Indians shall appear without arms. And this was the law to land at the time. It wasn't just Virginia. Massachusetts had one too, because remember, our country started there in, in the North as well. In 1671, on April 10th, 1671, Taunton, hope that's how you pronounce it, Massachusetts, the Wampanoag Indian tribe signed a treaty which forced them to surrender their English arms to the residents of Plymouth, Massachusetts. And then you go to 1712, race base, total gun ban, an act for preventing Negro insurrections was the basis for this law. South Carolina, 1712, an act for better ordering and governing of Negroes and slaves. 1791. The Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution is ratified, and it reads, A well-regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. A year later, 1792, blacks, excluded from this militia, i.e. law-abiding males, thus instilled with the right to own guns, Uniform Militia Act of 1792 called for the enrollment of every free, able-bodied white male citizen between the ages of 18 and 45 to be in the militia, and specified that every militia member was to provide himself with a musket or firelock, a bayonet, and ammunition. 1806, Louisiana. There was a black code. 
provided that the slave was denied the use of firearms and all other offensive weapons. In 1811, in Louisiana, there was a complete gun ban for slaves, the Act of April 8, 1811. Chapter 14, 1811 Laws of Los of Louisiana, 50-53, forbade sale or delivery of firearms to slaves. 1819, South Carolina, Master's Permission Required for Gun Possession by Slave, Act of December 18, 1819. Prohibited slaves outside the company of whites or without written permission from their master from using or carrying firearms unless they were hunting or guarding the master's plantation. 1825. Florida. Slave and free black homes searched for guns for confiscation. An act to govern patrols. Acts of Florida. Provided that white citizen patrols shall enter into all Negro houses and suspected places and search for arms and other offensive or improper weapons and may be and may lawfully seize and take away all such arms, weapons and ammunition. 1828, Florida. Free blacks permitted to carry guns if court approval. The Act of November 17, 1828. Florida went back and forth on the question of licenses for free blacks twice in 1828. Florida enacted provisions providing for the free blacks to carry and use firearms upon obtaining a license from a justice of the peace. 1831. Florida. Florida repealed all provisions for firearms licenses for free blacks. 1831. Delaware. Free blacks permitted to carry guns if court approval. In December 1831, legislative session, Delaware required free blacks desiring to carry firearms to obtain a license from a justice of the peace. 1831, Maryland. In December 1831, legislative session, Maryland entirely prohibited free blacks from carrying arms. 1831. In December 1831, legislative session, Virginia entirely prohibited free blacks from carrying arms. 1833, Florida. Slave and free black homes searched for guns and confiscation. Authorized white citizen patrols to seize arms found in the homes of slaves and free blacks and provided that blacks, without a proper explanation for the presence of firearms, be similarly punished without benefit of a judicial tribunal. 1833, Georgia. Declared that it shall be lawful or shall not be lawful for any free person of color in this state to own, use, or carry firearms for any description whatsoever. 1840, Texas. An act concerning slaves. The Texas Acts of 1850 prohibited slaves from using firearms altogether from 1842 to 1850. 1844. North Carolina. In State v. Newsom, the Supreme Court of North Carolina upheld a slave code law prohibiting free blacks from carrying firearms on the grounds that they were not citizens. 1845, North Carolina. Complete gun ban for slaves. 
made sale of delivery or farms or made sale or delivery of farms to slaves forbidden. All right, let me make this practical. And this is straight out of my book, A Letter to My Sisters. African-American women, this is to you. You alone have been responsible for the survival of our race. Your intelligence, your willpower, your inner strengths have been underestimated by all who have enslaved or sought to destroy our people. Because of this, you have been able to protect your children, shield them from life's atrocities, and teach us all to spiritually survive. Even now, there are those who still seek to weaken, control, and destroy your children. Guns have been falsely blamed as the root of all evil. The word gun is an emotional hot button that evokes an emotional response and awakens your maternal instincts to once again save your people. In street terms, you're being played. I now appeal to your intelligence to learn all you can about this issue of guns. Just like a new poker player, savvy politicians and groups who understand what makes you spiritually unique are manipulating you. Without the facts, however, you will unknowingly contribute for the first time to the destruction of our people. Your strong maternal instincts have gotten us through war, famine, disease, and slavery. But proof that you have been targeted for manipulation is that gun control groups use your tears and your suffering as sound bites in commercials and at public hearings. As the unofficial leaders of our homes, I ask you to please teach your sons and daughters about safety and the reality of firearms. As grandmothers, remind your family about the struggle many of our people have forgotten. The violence in our communities is a result of poverty, unemployment, drug and alcohol abuse, and the loss of family. Aside from educating your children, you're going to have to learn how to survive in a time when crime is getting out of hand. You have become the target of criminal predators and do not deserve to be a victim. Though our young people are using guns as tools of their destruction, firearms are necessary. You're being used to disarm African Americans by allowing the increase of senseless and repetitive gun laws. And by doing so, you allow the government through slicker means to accomplish something they have been trying to do since they brought our ancestors here in chains in the 1600s. Sisters, take us forward and not backwards. You do not drown by falling in water. You only drown if you stay there and refuse to swim. I wrote that in 1995. And it still holds water today. Before the Civil War ended, state slave codes prohibited slaves from owning guns. Our history is entrenched with this stuff. After President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 and after the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery was adopted and the Civil War ended in 1865, states persisted in prohibiting blacks now free from owning guns under laws renamed Black Codes. And they did so on the basis that blacks were not citizens and thus did not have the same rights, including the right to keep and bear arms protected in the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution as whites. 
and this view was specifically articulated by the U.S. Supreme Court in its infamous 1857 decision in Dred Scott v. Sanford to uphold slavery. The history of gun control is a history of control of the people. The United States Congress overrode most portions of the Black Codes by passing the Civil Rights Act of 1866, and the legislative histories of both the Civil Rights Act and the 14th Amendment, as well as the Special Report of the Anti-Slavery Conference in 1867, were replete with the denunciations of those particular statutes that denied blacks equal access to firearms. However, facially neutral disarming through economic means still remained in effect. For example, when the Civil War ended, there were a lot of excess revolvers around, and a revolver could cost about 50 cents. Well, to make it tough for the newly free blacks and the poor whites from owning a handgun for their protection of their family from the Klansmen and crazy marauders that were still out, they upped the price to 10 cents more, 60 cents. Well, 10 cents back then was a lot of money. And it kept people from being able to afford a gun. Kind of like they do now, where a Glock 33 parts could sell easily for $300 or less. But Maryland has a Saturday night special cheap handgun law that says that any gun that's $300 or less is not good and will be easily bought by criminals. So they upped the price to 500 And it keeps you from being able to afford one for your whole household, which would be just nice if you, your wife, your eldest child, you know, those able to own a firearm, could have a Glock. It's a fire extinguisher. It's a good tool for self-defense as well as many other things. But when pistols cost in excess of $500, you don't buy a lot of them. Same thing happened in 1867. An article in Virginia called a prohibitive tax on the privilege of selling handguns as a way of disarming the son of Ham which some racists believe is black people. Just keep on going with that same thing, and you have uh, many southern states imposed high taxes or banned inexpensive guns as so to price blacks and poor whites out of the gun market. In 1990s, gun control laws continued to be enacted so as to have a racist effect, if not intent. Police issued license and permit laws unless drafted to require issuance to those not prohibited by law from owning guns are routinely used to prevent lawful gun ownership among unpopular populations, i.e. public housing residents, the poor, blah, blah, blah. Slave codes, the black codes, economic racism, war and poverty still exist. And the gun's been the backbone of it all. Okay, so why does this, what does it have to do with history, Ken? What does it have to do with how things are now? Well, if you look at the inner city, if you look at the family unit, 
if you look at who is targeted to keep guns out of the hands of people, it's the same mentality. Politicians, elitist celebrities, people who have bodyguards, attack and put fear into the hearts of mothers, grandmothers, who don't want their kids taken out for having an illegal firearm in a the house. They don't want their kids caught with a gun. They don't they won't promote firearm education because it's been ingrained in us for 400 years that we shouldn't have one. We as in black people, Hispanic people, people of any race for the most part, if you are not a culture, tradition of hunting and your father and your grandfather didn't have guns in the house and you move into the city, it's easy to adopt this crazy mindset that it's the gun. But actually it's not. It's a history of not knowing what's up, of not knowing your freedom, not knowing your rights, not knowing that you're responsible for your own actions, your own life, your own family, not knowing. Here, a little knowledge would go a long way. You wouldn't be afraid of something if you knew it was being kept from you on purpose. Heck, you might even get indignant when somebody bans something from you that you haven't even tried to get yet. But I get ahead of myself there. The prophet Hosea said that my people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The gun has had a history of controversy, and the black man has been right at the base of it the whole time. We'll continue with some more next week. Thanks for listening. Zombie Strike. This used to be an extreme sport watched by millions around the world. We hunted zombies on a man-made island in the South Pacific. Well, that was then. This is now. Chapter 105, Jerusalem, Israel, 6 October 2011, 1515 hours local, countdown, two months, 25 days. Quentin McClintock's pushed the woman to the street and brought the warhammer down. The zombie's skull split open, spilling rotten brains on the street. Its companions let out their hunting moans as they turned to their new prey. Quentin heard echoing moans from dozens of throats. Maybe 30 or so zombies were now bearing down on him. Well, no one said the hero business would be safe or easy. Run, Quentin told a frightened woman. She looked up at him in shock. Quentin pointed emphatically back down the street and barked. Run now. The woman scrambled along the pavement for a few yards, found her feet, and sprinted back to relative safety. Quentin turned back to deal with the three zombies in front of him. He cursed to himself as he slammed the warhammer into the first zombie. This was not what the team expected when they landed in Jerusalem earlier in the day. 
Quentin spun and batted away the second zombie's groping hands with the haft of his hammer. He swept his artificial leg out and knocked the third zombie off its feet. As it struggled to get up, Quentin slid back out of the reach of the second zombie. He waited for it to take a couple steps toward him before thrusting. The blow tipped the zombie backwards. As it fell, Quentin smashed his head like a baseball. The zombie stopped moving before he hit the ground. Casually, Quentin walked over to the last zombie still struggling to get up and dispatched it with a single hammer blow. Picking up a discarded newspaper, Quentin wiped the gore off his hammer. Well, that was nicely done, mate, Sport said jogging up the street. The diminutive Brit had his XM-25 slung across his back and was cradling a pump shotgun. The woman's fine, by the way. One good thing, I guess, Quentin said, looking at the four corpses on the street. Hunting moans echoed in the streets as more zombies started their slow shamble to the noise. Have they located Jocasta? Nope, Sport answered. Somewhere in this neighborhood. And let me tell you, the Israelis are a bit put out by that woman. Not every day that their cultural minister turns out to be working for the truth and unleashes a zombie outbreak in their sacred city, Quentin said. We've got to find her before the IDF or Mossad does. Yeah, yeah, I know, Sports said, clearly not wanting to go over the day's events. Quentin couldn't blame him. It had been bad enough the first time. Sport motioned down a side street. The boss wants me to meet up a few blocks over. Quentin consulted a map on his PDA. Okay, follow me, Quentin said. Sport grunted as Quentin started running. Not bloody natural for someone your size to run like a footballer, Sport grumbled. I played football in college, Quentin shot back. Real football, not that corruption of rugby you Yanks play, Sport retorted. Quentin decided to let the little man have the last word. He's going to have hard enough time keeping up with Quentin's pace. In a few minutes, the two met up with the rest of the zombie strike outside an abandoned professional building. Quentin grimaced at the sight of the tight-faced, uniformed man standing next to his team leader. So, Mateo hadn't been able to shake him yet. As soon as he saw Quentin and Sport, Mateo strode over to them. Any luck? Mateo asked in a low voice. No, just a few zombies, Quentin answered in the same hushed tones. Our friend is coming over. The uniformed man stormed over. Mr. McClintock, my government is being very lenient in letting a team of armed foreigners run around the infected zone. I would appreciate you not to abuse our trust in you by harrying off on your own, Major David Rabin stated in a slightly accented English. If he didn't, mate, that lady would now be prowling about looking to eat you, Sports said, trying to catch his breath. While I appreciate your protection of an Israeli, please don't expect me to believe that that was the reason you two split off, Rabin said, clearly not amused. Prove it otherwise, Sport challenged. Enough, Mateo said before Rabin could respond. We still need to find the sorcerer. Rabin shot Mateo a sidelong glance, but didn't say anything. 
the career military intelligence officer still didn't believe Zombie Strike about the true nature of Jocasta Cervini. He was having a difficult time enough dealing with the idea that she'd raised the zombie horde. The idea she was a mystic in the service of a powerful but secret cult in the service of an Aztec god was a bit too much for Rabin at the moment. The four men joined the rest of Zombie Strike. So where do we go now? Chief Stahl asked. After the zombies, Mateo answered. She's got to be there somewhere and control this many of them. Matt, what if she's not there? Jess asked. Mateo gave his foster daughter a quizzical look and motioned for her to continue. The question I keep asking is why? Jocasta already destroyed the Levant scroll. Why didn't she just leave through one of their portals? Why raise the zombies? What else could she be after? Just for the record, you're getting too smart, Chief Stahl told Jess. The former soldier looked at his team leader. She's right. We're looking at this wrong. The horde may be just a distraction to keep the Israeli authorities and us busy. Hundreds of zombies as a distraction, Rabin asked incredulously. Wouldn't be the first time, Mateo said, mulling over Jess's comments. Okay, Jocasta destroys the Levant scroll in a big, flashy news conference because she's claims it's a blasphemous document to all the Abrahamic religions, does so and orders the dead to rise, causing a zombie outbreak. Do you think she knew we were in country? She may know now, but doubtful when all this had happened, Rabin answered. My people were barely warned before the odd helicopter of yours landed. Could you be after another artifact? Mateo asked Quentin. I don't know. I don't think so, Quentin said, searching his mind. The Levant scroll was the only item in Israel that was outside their possession. Nothing in the stuff we grabbed from them mentioned anything else. How about regime change? Chief Stahl suggested. Israel is one of the few countries that hadn't been subverted by the truth. What if they have their people ready to take during the fun and games? How very perceptive, a new voice said from above. The team all brought their weapons up. On top of a five-story building across the street from them, a minion stood. This one was male, dressed in the tight ninja suit that had become the minion's uniform. In his outstretched hands was a golden pyramid. Quentin figured the minion had a shield up. The truth's minions learned the hard way what happened when you confronted Zombie Strike without defenses. The minion stepped off the roof and levitated down to the street. Well, I can certainly see why my fellow champions are worried about you, the minion said, almost as if praising the team. None of us expected anyone to figure out what was actually happening. Dear God, what they say was true, Rabin said. The minion looked at the major and laughed. The major flushed in shame and anger. He unslung the Tavor assault rifle and aimed it at the minion. Wait, Mateo said, grabbing Rabin's shoulder. Why? Rabin demanded. Mateo wordlessly pointed down the street. The rifle nearly slipped off and out of Rabin's hands as he saw the sprinting forms of a dozen golems. Bad Moon. Rise.
Financing. Read about it at Derek-Ward.com. Okay, this concludes this week's show. I want to thank you for listening to the show, and I hope you got something that you can share, something that made you smile, think, or go, oh yeah, that's right. You know, I realized today on my way home, in the messy rain, the snarling traffic, and the long commute, that I'm probably pretty hard to figure out from by some people. Well, this show is my weekly conversation with you, my friend. Now I'm a different person to different people. But I'm just me. Father, husband, uncle, cuz, son, friend, and brother from a different mother. I use this time to entertain, educate, enlighten, and encourage. And because of this show, I've gained some new friends that have blessed me in my life. All because of this show. And that is priceless. So, you're listening to a man that believes and worships Jesus the Christ. And my faith. It doesn't stop me from living or loving life. I like guns, but I like the people in the gun community even more. Because we're, we're more diverse than most magazines, TV shows, and most podcasts out there show. We are all colors, all faiths, nationalities, and orientations. You're listening to a man that understands and has traveled the world, seen both magnificent beauty and the evil, ugly things that men can do. If you're on Facebook, look for the fan page, Black Man With A Gun 1, and like me, please. I just created a new Google Plus page, Black Man With A Gun Show. If you're into that, hit me up there, please, and let's get that thing cranking. You can find my blog at KenNBlanchard.com. I got a pro shop. It's uh, BlackManWithAGun.us. And I might even make a sale someday. Yeah, I beg a lot. Got a fall fund drive. Why? Because I'm trying whatever I can to stimulate the economy up in this camp. It's the 25 fall fund drive. I'm asking you to support your friend and brother from a different mother, Ken Blanchard, with a one-time $25 donation to help the black man with a gun survive with a 25 ball fun drive. Red Ken helps a lot of people on and offline and could use your financial help this month with a one-time donation of $25. Go to KenBlanchard.com for the link. Checks can be mailed directly to Ken Blanchard at P.O. Box 2, Upper Marlboro, Maryland, 20773, or find the link on Black and that's just in case you feel so inclined. No, uh, no pressure, though. If you found me on iTunes, could you leave a review there? You can also find this show on Stitcher.com. And that way you can listen right on your phone if you have the app for Stitcher.com. It's a really cool app. I'm also asking if you could share this link. Podcast.BlackManWithAGun.com it goes right to all the shows for the Black Man with a Gun podcast and allows you to send that to people within your circle. Maybe somebody you think might actually like listening to what I do and much appreciated if you do. And overall, I'm a blessed mug. Thanks for listening to your brother. All right. That means it's time to go. 
thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man of the Gun podcast sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. If you want to reach me for anything at all, you can contact me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com or call me at 888-675-0202. When you're weary, feeling small, are in your eyes I will dry them all I'm on your side when times get rough and friends just can't be found to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. Shalom, baby.